So as we jump into our passage this morning, into the message, I, I want you to do something for me that I'm praying will make this morning's message as personal as possible. And uh, this might be kind of a weird way to start out, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to put yourself mentally in one of the most difficult seasons you can think of in your life. Okay, And I'll tell you why in a minute. It's not to torture you. There is a purpose to this. But I want you to think about a time in your life when your faith was really tested. I want you to think about a time in your life where you were, were, were tempted maybe to turn away from God. Just that most difficult trial and time of testing in your life. Okay, so For some of you, it may be happening right now, so it's not going to take any effort to put yourself there because you are there right now. For others, maybe it was something that happened many, many years ago. But everybody, I want you to have something in mind. Okay, You have that, that one thing or a time in mind. Um, I want you to put yourself there because I want today's passage and message to be as personal as it possibly can be because we get to talk today uh, about a, a familiar passage of scripture from Daniel chapter 3. We'll get there in a minute. We're going to talk about three men by the name of Hananiah. It's the first one whose name means Yah or God is gracious. Mishael whose name means who is what God is and Azariah whose name means Yah has helped. But you know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the names that we are more familiar with. And today we are going to uh, walk with them as they go through their journey in this fiery furnace. And a little, little bit of background as we kind of lead up to this. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was king at that time, king of Babylon. They had conquered Jerusalem. They had deported many of the Jewish people to Babylon. In fact, they only left the poorest of the people to kind of work the land. And so... They take the best with them, and in particular, the king said, I want you to find those that are the sharpest young men in the group. I want them to be good looking. I want them to be highly educated. Uh, just take those people, and we're going to basically indoctrinate them in the ways of the Babylonians. So they're going to teach them. The goal is to train these young Hebrews to think like Babylonians. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the Babylonian names that they gave. They changed their Hebrew names. They, uh, they were three of them that were brought into the king's service, but the king's goal of brainwashing them to the point that they would forget about their faith in the God of Israel did not work. In fact, we see that their faith in Yahweh just continued to, to, to grow rather than fading into the background. And today we see them responding to, or really, I guess maybe a better way of saying that is failing, refusing to respond to an order that the king had made because he built an idol. He built a golden idol that was 90 feet tall. Now to give us some perspective here, how many of you have been to the State Fair of Texas? You know Big Tex at the State Fair of Texas, right? Big Tex. Anybody know how tall Big Tex is? Big Tex is 55 feet tall. Less than two-thirds the size or the height, at least, of this golden idol. So if that gives you some perspective of how massive this thing was. So the king builds this idol of gold, and he gives instructions. Whenever you hear these certain types of music, everybody is to bow down and worship this massive 90-foot-tall idol. And so here are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, who were highly educated they understood what the, um, 
God of Israel required of them. They knew the Ten Commandments. You remember the first two of the Ten Commandments? The first one is, you will have what? No other God before me. The second one is, don't make any, sometimes it's it graven images. Don't make any images of anything that you would worship. So what is the king doing? He's, he's commanding that they violate the first two of the Ten Commandments. And they knew this. And so here they are in this group of people and everybody else bows down to worship. Now you would think that in a group there's probably thousands and thousands of people that are gathered together when this happens. And it's easy to hide in a crowd, right? If there are thousands of people, it's easy to kind of get lost until everyone else bows down and you're the only one left standing, right? And so at that point, it's really obvious who the people are who are disobeying the king's orders. And so uh, everybody knew. They saw these three. They reported it to the king. Verse 13 says that the king was furious with rage. And so he calls these three in, and that's where I want to pick it up in verse 15. Let's start reading there. This is the king speaking to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says, Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lair, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music... If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand but even if he does not we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach Meshach and Abednego and his attitude toward them changed he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Now Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
and in the province of Babylon. So powerful, powerful story there of just how God uh, did something unbelievable in the, in, in the lives of these three who were willing to take a stand. And that's why I say, think about the time in your life where you were most tempted to turn away from your faith. I can't think of anything more tempting to turn away than if you don't bow down and worship, I'm going to throw you into a blazing furnace. And at this point in time, don't you think that with these guys being highly educated, these are smart guys, don't you think it would have been easy for them to rationalize a decision to bow down before this idol? I mean, after all, worship is something that takes place in the heart, right? So why couldn't they just bow down and worship the real God? Not, you know, bow with everyone else, but they're not worshiping that idol. They're worshiping the one true God. And surely God would not want them to, you know, their lives to be cut so short. And how are they going to have the opportunity to influence others toward God if they are killed so early? I mean, can't you just imagine all the different thoughts that would be going through their minds? All the ways to rationalize a decision to compromise what they knew was the right thing to do. And they refused to do that. And that's where I want to start today as we talk about what does it look like to go all in as we continue on with this series one thing it means is we refuse to compromise. That's what we see in these three. They didn't compromise. They didn't rationalize a, a way of, well, we could do this or that. And, and I can only imagine how intimidating this must have been. I mean, this is Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king probably that had ever lived up until that time. He was a ruthless military leader. They had conquered all these other nations. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that if they didn't obey him, that he could kill them and would attempt to kill them. And yet... They just didn't do it. They refused to compromise in spite of um, being in such intimidating circumstances. You know, I look at that and, and it, 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 it makes me think, first of all, of some things that I've been reading uh, in my own personal time. I've been in the, the prophets in the Old Testament recently, uh, right now in the book of Ezekiel. And there's this theme that seems to come up over and over again where God is saying to this, these prophets, that I want you to speak the truth because the rest of the prophets, the so-called prophets of God, they're just telling people what they want to hear. You know, they're, they're just giving them messages of, oh, God is for you and everything's going to be fine. And that's not true. And so the, you just see this theme. I keep reading this over and over and over again, this theme coming up of how important it is to speak the difficult truth and not just tell people what you want to hear. And as one who has the privilege of being able to communicate God's word on a regular basis... I think I can understand the temptation that these guys felt when they were just telling people what they wanted to hear. Because I can tell you two things. One, it's a whole lot more pleasant to talk about happy things than it is to talk about gloom and doom kind of stuff, right? And number two, it's a lot more pleasant to be liked than to be hated. And that's just the reality. And so, but, but here are these guys who their job wasn't just to talk about pleasant things. Their job wasn't to, you know, worry about whether they were liked or hated. Their job was to communicate God's word. And we see even the prophets in the Old Testament uh, many times that are not faithful to it. And then you get to the New Testament and we see the same type of a thing being warned against. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Guys, that happens all the time. That happens all the time. It's like we, we just, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll gather around us people that tell us what we want to hear. That happens, unfortunately, in the church. 
I heard one of our elders was talking about it this week, and he described it this way. I thought this was well said. He said, many churches now are beginning to interpret the Bible through the lens of, of culture rather than interpreting culture through the lens of the Bible. Uh, that, that's exactly right. And we have to be very careful. There, there, there certainly is a temptation there with all the, the pressure of different uh, topics and things that people are pushing so hard. It's so easy for the church to begin to compromise and to say, well, we won't stand on this particular um, issue here because if we do, you know, people will be offended or we'll get too much pushback or whatever. And by the way, I'm not talking about just the hot topic types of things. I'm not talking about just things like, you know, um, sexual orientation and abortion and those types of, of issues that are important issues that are always on the forefront of our mind. But I mean, things like materialism. How often do you hear the church taking a stand against the greed that we see in our culture um, or uh, divisiveness? You know, when it comes to, I'm going to tell you, both political parties are incredibly divisive. How often do you hear the church taking a stand saying that that's not the direction as God's people we should be going? And there are so many different things in our culture that it's like we just feel this pressure to go along with this or that. And um, we, we, we shouldn't do that. Not only as churches, but as individuals. I mean, let's make this personal. Uh, if you are a follower of Christ, you identify yourself as a believer, Here's my question for you. Where are you compromising in your life right now? Because I don't really think it's a matter of are you compromising somewhere. I, I really think the question is, is where are you compromising? Um, and there are so many different places that that can happen. Uh, in some cases, maybe that, that compromise is in giving in to gossip around the workplace. Maybe that compromise is not taking care of your physical health. Are you compromising by being lazy and not being willing to serve? Uh, are you compromising by viewing pornography? Are you addicted to social media? Are you compromising maybe as a single person the standard of purity that you know God has for you and that you said you would uphold? Are you compromising by not being together with God's people and worshiping with God's people, but by not giving by tearing others down rather than building others down. I mean, the list could go on and on, right? The question is, where are you compromising? Where am I compromising? So that we can identify that and say, Lord, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to be one who stands firm. And by the way, that's one of the reasons it's such a blessing that God has given us one another. Because it's not easy to stand firm, right? We know that. That's true in any stage of life. That's particularly true. I know we have a few of our teenagers in here early this morning with us, which is awesome, guys. That's especially true, and I'll get to speak a little bit more directly to our teenagers later on as they all sit here, but that's especially true for you. I mean, you guys know this. If you stand firm in your faith, you're going to be ostracized to a certain degree, right? There are going to be people that are not going to invite you to stuff. They're not going to have things to do with you. That's true for adults as well. When you take a stand for Christ, there are going to be people that don't. That, that's why we need each other. That's why we need uh, student ministries where we can rally around together. That's why we need to be involved in connect groups as adults so that we can encourage one another. So that when others maybe do ostracize or push you out because of your faith, there are other people to say, but I'm with you. i got your back. We're, we're in this together. Uh, we need that. And thankfully, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at least had each other, right? They could do this together. They could stand together in their faith, and, and they did that, and they refused to compromise. And uh, by the way, let me point out something they said to the king in verse 16. Um, this was their response to the king. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Guys, there's a powerful sermon just in that one statement. 
When it comes to staying true to what God says, you don't have to explain yourself to anybody. You don't have to rationalize why. Just look, God, I'm doing this for God, not for other people. And let God be your defender. I mean, that was their attitude. Is Look, I know you're powerful. And, and we're willing to serve you. That's our job. But we're not going to bow down and worship an idol because that violates our faith. And we don't, basically they're saying we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this. They refused to compromise. And then verse 17 and 18. This to me is the heart of this passage. And it's such a powerful statement about where their faith was. It says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. See the faith there that God is going to step in? But we don't stop in verse 17, verse 18, so powerful. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So going all in, one, means we don't compromise. But here's the second thing that I want to leave with you today. It means that we believe that God will deliver us and... We trust him if he doesn't. We believe that God will deliver us. And we trust him if it doesn't turn out exactly how we want it to. Do you hear them saying that here? God will deliver us. We believe that God will deliver us from your hand. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to go down this path. I mean, think about all the different places in Scripture where we see God miraculously stepping in to deliver His people. We talked about a few of those last week. I referenced the parting of the Red Sea. I referenced uh, Gideon, where God delivered him. Jehoshaphat, where uh, God delivered you know, the people from these massive armies that were facing them. And there are plenty of examples in the New Testament. I think about uh, when Peter was arrested, put in chains, and an angel appears to him in prison, the chains fall off, the prison doors open, he just walks right out. I think about Paul uh, when, when he was uh, on an island and bitten by a poisonous snake, and the snake he just kind of shakes it off in the fire, and everybody's waiting for him to swell up and die, and nothing happens. And I mean, just miraculous things like that where God intervenes and miraculously protects his people. And that happens. And the same God that did that then is the God that we worship today. And that's what happened here because it says that they, they were thrown into the fire. And by the way, notice this, the fire was so hot that the, the, the men that bound them to throw them in were killed immediately. So as soon as the, the doors to the furnace were opened, the, the soldiers were killed. Well, that should have. If it killed the soldiers, the strongest men, by the way, it says, the strongest men in, that he had available, if it killed them, it certainly should have killed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego immediately, but it didn't. And so they throw them in. They're bound, so they're not able to, to get up. They're not able to do anything. And next thing you know, verse 24, it says, the king, can't you just picture this? The king's sitting down. I don't know if he's on his throne or what, where it was. But he jumps up. It says in verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied and threw into the fire? See, he, not only are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up and walking around in the fire, completely unbound and unharmed, but there's a fourth. And don't you love the way the king describes the fourth person? He, he says he looks like a son of the gods. What Nebuchadnezzar sees here is not a son of the gods. What he sees, in my opinion, is the son of the God. I believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ. 
who is walking with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through this fiery furnace. And, and, and does it, doesn't it make you wonder? I mean, just try to get the image. There's fire all around them, right? How could, what would make one look like a son of the gods in a fire? I mean, it's not like he's, well, maybe he was glowing in some way. You know, like there, there's fire there. So how does he, but there was something about the glory of God that was just radiating and he said, this, there's something different about this fourth person in there. And man, is there a sermon or two or three just in that one statement that they went in with three and the next thing you know, there's four. And how many times are we reminded throughout Scripture that God walks with us through our trials, that he will never leave us or forsake us. And there's so much encouragement in that. But maybe even more importantly, the message in it is this, that Jesus saves us when we have no hope. Of saving ourselves. That's really the point here. When they were thrown into that furnace, there is absolutely no possible way they could survive that unless God did it. Unless God miraculously intervened, and He did, and He intervened by, by sending Christ here in, in His pre incarnate um, self to, to come and be with them and to protect them. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. But that speaks even to our situation today of. When it comes to our salvation, when it comes to dealing with our sinfulness, guys, we can't save ourselves. We have absolutely no hope of doing that on our own. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to give his life for us. He died on the cross for us. He became a sacrifice for us, for our sins, because we can't do it on our own. And so he rescues them. But then we look at, at life and and. In some cases, even at Scripture, it talks about those that were, you know, martyred and those that were sawed in two and, you know, just horrible things that have happened to godly people. You ever known somebody in your life that you're like, that person loves Jesus, and maybe God didn't pull them out of the fire like that. I know people um, that, that God has completely healed of cancer, for example, where the doctor said there's no hope, there's no way that that person could ever survive that, and they do. God steps in, and, and they're, they're miraculously delivered from that. But church, I know people that are godly people that love Jesus with all their heart that die of cancer. From our perspective, maybe too soon. And we look at things like that, and we're like, okay, God, were you... Why is it that in this case you did, in this case you didn't? I mean, we see things that happen. I mean, marriages still end in a divorce. People still file bankruptcy. Children still die, from our perspective, way too young. And we, we, we look at those things, and that's why I say it's so important for us to say we believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, let's be very clear, we believe that God can miraculously deliver. But we also trust him. When he doesn't, God is sovereign. And, and, and we aren't one to determine when, you know, is it going to go this way? When is it going to go that way? And that's why I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. They said, we believe that God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. Even if things don't go the way I want them to go, we're going to remain faithful to the Lord. And so for our last few minutes together, I'm going to invite my friends, Jim and Linda Foster, to come join me because they have been walking through the fire here for a little while. Uh, if you don't know Jim and Linda, they've been a part of our church for over a decade now. 
Both of them have served in just in a variety of different leadership roles and serving in different areas. Jim has served as a deacon as part of our finance team uh, for a long time. Uh, Linda uh, coordinated and kind of got our first impressions ministry up off the ground. It's still serving and is one of the best greeters you will ever meet in your entire life. Mentored women. I mean, just all, the list goes on and on for these two. But really, what I want you two to talk about with us today is just share some of your personal journey. Jim, I'm going to start with you because you've been walking through a battle for a long time, specifically with cancer. And, and I want you to share some of your story uh, with us, if you would. Well, I have... Uh... <clears throat> I've been walking the last six years with a, a medically incurable stage four cancer. And I say medically I qualify because we all know that nothing's impossible with God. But, but with it comes all the fear of the unknown. There's the countless medical treatments. There's doctor's appointments. There's scans. There's blood tests. And I've been going on with for a lot of years. And, you know, it kind of wears you down over time. Uh, but you know, actually the cancer, I mean, my first cancer was prostate cancer, and that was early in 2016. And, you know, they, that was in remission after about 40-some-odd radiation treatments. But later in the year, I went in for a, uh, a routine CT scan, and then they found the mass of my left kidney. And they removed the kidney and found it was renal cell carcinoma. And... Uh, then they did a PET scan and determined that there were some spots in my lungs. They did a wedge resection, took out part of my lung. And again, it was metastasized, so that's how they staged it at stage four. So that stayed pretty stable for a number of years. And then last year, uh, it had gotten one of my lymph nodes, and they did some radiation treatment on that after they determined that was more renal cell carcinoma. And, uh, but then they found it had gotten to my liver and onto one of my adrenal glands. And then, you know, throughout the course, I've switched medications. And I've been on a medication since uh, last October, which has kept things stable, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I, I can only imagine, you know, just the, the different phases of that walking through that. But Linda... It's not just one person that walks through this, right? When your spouse is going through that, you are too. And so I want you to speak some from your perspective of what has it been like for you walking through this, this whole trial? Whew. Yeah. We don't it's a hard question, time, isn't but... it? Yeah, right? I, know. Um, I would say initially to be really transparent and authentic, um, I had all the feelings of... Um, Sadness, shock, disbelief, anger. Mm -hmm. It was, it's actually been a grieving process right. of going through this. And one of my thoughts or feelings was, really, God? Mm -hmm. um, after much brokenness in both of our lives, divorce for both of us, um, you finally... <laughs> You, you put us together. Yeah. You brought us together uh, through this broken road. And now you're going to take Jim. Um, how does that even, you know, make sense? And I didn't really stay there very long because I knew that he was our only hope, our 
um, if anything was going to happen differently. And I prayed that the cup would pass, mm-hmm. you know, over us. And, but pretty quickly, I said, but even if yeah. it doesn't, yeah. help me to trust you. I mean, I trust you, help my distrust, because I know it's going to happen along the way, and the questions. So that was, um, you know, and just seeing one you love, which you know about, you know, walk that kind of walk and supporting them physically, emotionally, you know, um, it's soul-wearying. It is. And there there was no one else to turn to, Yeah. you know that I knew could, could change it. Yeah. And if I want, he wanted I, to. Let's dive into that, that last little statement that you made there. I, I, what does that look like for you to believe that God will do mm-hmm. something miraculous and to trust him if he doesn't? If things don't go the direction that you know, we're all praying they will. I mean, walk us through where your mind is with that. Well, I mean, for me, I, I couldn't have made it you know, through this whole journey without my faith. And to be honest with you, it was fear that, you know, really drove me to my knees and, uh, you know, it made me, you know, to declare my faith more boldly. But through this thing, I've actually gotten closer to God. And, you know, he's blessed me in so many ways. He's blessed me with uh, a wonderful wife and supportive wife and with friends and family and people who have come alongside me and prayed and supported me. And he's blessed me with good doctors. I mean, even an oncologist who actually prays for me after every visit. I mean, it's incredible what he's done for me. And, and there's so many things that, you know, that, that God has worked through this whole process. I mean, there's miracles and blessings all along the way. Uh, for example, I mean, I know that, you know, he's provided medications that keep it stable. He's uh, provided peace in times of anxiety because there's always that constant fear of the unknown. And, uh, you know, as a believer, I truly believe that God can cure this. But I also know that if it's not his will, that I'm going to be with him. So, you know, for me, it's a win-win. And, you know, that keeps me, that gives me a lot of peace. And I'm just grateful for all God that has done for me. And I the one thing that uh, I know that God is always with us in times of adversity, but I've learned that we have to trust him. And I've also learned that we have to ask him to come alongside us and he will. Hmm. Amen. Well, for me, like I said, I kind of drawing the line in the sand and saying, you know, I will trust you. And I have a dear friend that, you know, several years back, lost her son. And one of the things she has said all along is, God, if you're in this, you know, I can, I can bear this. If you're in this, show me, you know. And God has shown so much along the way. But you have to have eyes to see. You have to, if you're believing for a miracle, look for the miracles. And so I'm going to tell a quick story. I'll try sure. to do it. But there was a night, and it wasn't too long ago, and yes, we prayed for a miracle. I mean, take it away. But there was a night not too that long ago, and we got up, we were doing our devotionals, and Jim goes, you know, something really happened last night. He said, I heard God say, 
it's been a while since you prayed for a miracle. And, um, you know, how we just go along, we sort of get resigned. This is going to be our, this is the way it's going to be. And so I start having a little, you know, eye, eye water. <laughs> and he goes, honey, it's going to be okay. It's okay. And I said, oh, I know. I said, because I was awakened at 3 o'clock that very morning, and I heard the same message. But when I prayed, it was like, God, we do still want that miracle. We, we would, could you just remove this? But not your will. I mean, because we now, we trust you beyond. And there's so, like Jim said, there's so many miracles along the way. I mean, uh, that they even found the kidney cancer right. before he wasn't even with us. So um, it's just an... an People praying, it's the little things. If, you, if you're looking for, don't look for just the miracle. Look for what, because I didn't want cancer to be our focus. So it's like we don't focus on the cancer, we focus on what God's doing within mm, that's the good. cancer. That's good. And I, I just want to encourage you, church family. I know so many of you are praying for them, continue to do that. And You'll be hearing more in days to come about a new um, cancer support ministry that Jim's going to be starting up here as well. But um, guys, thank you for sharing your story that, you know, th this is real life stuff. This is where this kind of stuff hits, rubber hits the road. And so thank you. Can you just tell me, help, help me tell them thank you for sharing with us. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Appreciate y'all so very much. And guys, um, I mean, th this is where it gets real, you know. We, we believe God, but we trust Him. Both of those. It's, it's not one or the other. You know, it's, it's not either or, and it's not, you know, they were just hedging their bets by saying, God will deliver us, but even if He doesn't. No, they, they were saying, we, we believe that God is good. You see, when it comes to following Jesus, there's no out clause. There, there's no, if it gets really hard, then you, you get to have a pass. We follow him, period. You know, through the fire, through the trials, through whatever we may go through. And we need to remind ourselves regularly that God is good. Yes, God is sovereign, and yes, God is the one who decides what's going to happen and, and you know, when is he going to pull us out of the fire and, and when is that not going to happen. And I mean, that's where we have to trust in God's sovereignty. God is good, but our job is to follow him. Let me just remind you that he loves you and to continue to be faithful to him. I said earlier that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the crowds and everybody else bowed down, that it was really clear who was refusing to bow down to the idol because they were the only ones left standing. My prayer for you, for, for our community, for myself, guys, I pray that we are the kind of believers that when everybody else bows down, when the trials come and when there's that threat of the blazing furnace and everybody else says, I'm not going through that, I'll do whatever I have to do to keep from being thrown into that fire, that we will be the ones to say, I don't care what everybody else is doing. Everyone else can bow down and worship that idol if they want to, but I'm not gonna bow down. That I'm gonna stand because I believe that my God will deliver me, and even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to go that way. 
Do you have that kind of courage, that kind of faith to say, Lord, no matter what anyone else does, I'm yours. And I'm all in and I'm following you and I'm trusting you, even if that means being thrown into the furnace. Let's pray. Lord, would you give us courage today to stand firm? Lord, when the, when the threat comes, whatever it looks like, it'll look different for each of us. But, but whatever that threat of the fiery furnace is, Lord, my prayer is that we stand firm and, and that we are unshakable and unmovable and that we trust you no matter what. Lord Jesus, thank you for walking with us through that. What an encouraging picture it is that three went in and four were walking around. And so, Lord, thank you for that reminder today. In your precious name we pray. Amen.